Well, everybody, welcome back to Inside Whitehall with me, Jonathan Gullis. And me, James Starkey. Well, that was a great episode, obviously, learning about the real-life Malcolm Tuckers. SPADs, PADs, the acronyms carry on. James, what did you think? I think they would reject the uh, moniker of real-life Malcolm Tuckers. They didn't seem happy with that. (laughs) I think some special advisors revel in it and and, and probably plan to try and be the next Malcolm Tucker. Uh, And I think Martin and Hannah are certainly people that take a different tact and don't, don't want to be. Having worked with Hannah in the sense of being an MP, engaging a lot with the Home Office, I can assure listeners that Hannah is definitely not a real-life Malcolm Tucker. No. She's certainly uh, firm, but also very fair, and uh, was never was never out of order like you see in the, the great TV show that uh, we, we've come to love the thick of it. No, but I, I had a question for you, Jonathan. So we kind of touched on it. The, you know, Spads are in the media a little bit. Anyone that's watched the thick of it probably has a certain view. But, you know, they're not like MPs. They're not like cabinet ministers. Like Most people probably don't even know what it means, I would guess. Uh, as I kind of alluded to during the episode, I think when I told my dad, he just said, I don't think that's a real job. So I'm not sure what you're up to. Your dad is a is a no-nonsense Stokey, as we keep reminding everyone. And certainly I've been on the receiving end of his uh, very dry tone. He wants to know where he's levelling up many years. He keeps asking. He keeps asking for that check. Okay. So what before you became an MP, did, did you have an idea of what spads were or did you have any view of you know what they did well i give you full credit that you're interviewing me as it were when actually like you know what we want to know is more about you james but don't worry we will come to that listeners we will we will get <laughs> you to confess on air it's you know we're going to treat this like a you know cleanse your sin session uh you know for uh, later on know, but in terms of what did i know uh the brutal honesty of it is that it was the thick of it it was yes minister that was why knew about or ever had heard about what special advisor was and it wasn't really until we had some quite major announcements that I actually understood the role of a special advisor. So, for example, uh, when it was certain restrictions during the COVID pandemic, when it was the Nationality and Borders Act, when it was a specific uh, announcement for Stoke-on-Trent, for example, uh, the levelling up funding, you know, randomly this phone number that I didn't have in my phone would suddenly contact me to say, heads up and, you know, we're doing this or this is coming down the track. And that was a special advisor and at first i just thought oh okay that's just some individual and then suddenly you realize actually these are phone numbers you desperately need to save because if the minister or the or the secretary of state's not getting back to you or when you've collared them in the corridor and they've done the kind oh yeah i'll look into that but you know that you're the 50th person who's asked them that and they're trying to obviously be polite you then figure out if i text a special advisor I bet I can get an answer. And I must say, in everyone I've ever worked with, I've genuinely had a really great response. And that's including those inside number 10. So it makes that conversation, I found, so much easier. But yeah, you are right that they are an important part of the process. And I think MPs can underestimate the importance of using special advisors to lobby a secretary of state or to lobby government, underestimate in terms of getting prepared for interviews, maybe on a certain topic that's related to that department. But I do think it's also true that in some cases, special advisors can underestimate the MP. And actually, as we touched on, special advisors are there to advise, but also support their principal to make sure that that person gets the best job. And I think special advisors sometimes can be blinded by the fact that actually a lot of that is reliant upon the mood of colleagues. And that will be fed in via the whips and go to the chief whip and will be used to, as a formula when it comes to reshuffles. And I think that can go a long way and buys you a lot of political capital, which in this game, as you know, is all important. What do you reckon, James? Because obviously, as I say, you were on the other side. You were the special advisor. 
I made the joke about the Ben Swain to this world. How did you find working with MPs, if I was throwing it back on you? Um, well, so my first role as a special advisor was as a media advisor. You didn't spend that much time with MPs then. I mean, I think Martin said this. You have to, I mean, we probably should have asked this of both of them. I, I kind of had it down, but didn't end up asking it directly. In your typical day in a department, you are mainly in the department. So you don't spend that much time in the House of Commons, in, P, in Portcullis House, where you, where you kind of hang out and have coffee. And you, you, know, you spend a lot of your time with the lobby, really, or in your department. I mean, you spend most of your time in meetings, getting to understand the main bits of policy that your principal is doing. The advice I got from a very good former special advisor was find out the kind of top priorities of your Secretary of State and go to as many of the meetings about that policy, what that they're in and that they're not in, that you can. So you fully understand what it is they're trying to do, why they've decided not to do things or to do things. So when you come to look at the media plan and, and do some of the briefing yourself, you really do understand the policy. You're not just picking up a press release and briefing it in. You can just get a kind of fairly junior press officer to do that. You're, you're able to sit in the policy development meeting. So say at DEFRA we did plastic, you're able to understand why it is we've chosen to take a particular view on a particular type of plastic or what's the problem with the microbeads or whatever it might be. And so when people are probing about, well, isn't this a bit harsh? This seems a bit extreme. This is going to do this. You can say, well, this is the problem we're trying to address. You can agree or disagree with the method we're uh, taking, but like you actually understand what the real problem is. So in that way, you, you most of your time is spent in department quite a bit of your time outside of that is spent with journalists and so as a media spad not a huge amount of time is actually spent in parliament perhaps during my not huge amount of time but a bit of time at the home office probably a bit more time over there with mps um because i had a different role uh you know so you're sitting on in that kind of box you've got in parliament on oral questions because you, you want to get a feel for how things are going in the house where, where, where things are landing what do you think, James? Because as MPs, we're obviously always invited to send in ideas to Secretary of State's two ministers, or we all think we've got the best idea that, of course, the Secretary of State or a minister's never thought of. How do you engage with those and sometimes let people down gently, as well as obviously all the masses of people that are coming in? Like you say, you'll have the media contacting, the civil service feeding in their feedback. You'll have external stakeholders coming in. How does a special advisor make sure that they they go through that to compile it into a nice neat pile that doesn't overwhelm the principle that they're serving well if i let you into a secret the principle you know the secretary of state will you'll they'll say uh you know you'll you'll be in a conversation i'll say oh speak to my special advisor or you know they'll copy you into an email or whatever and say you know can you deal with this now i would always say do you want me to deal with it or do you want me to make sure it happens because they're two different things you know obviously in a department there might be something that um kind of comes in and they say we want this we want to do this we want to have that meeting or you might take the view that dealing with it's it's not definitely making sure it's happening it's making sure someone feels like they've been engaged so an mp comes in with a certain issue you can get them into the department the mps are allowed to meet civil servants have a discussion of their issue, understand more about why you're doing a certain policy or not doing a certain policy or hear their ideas on a campaign they've got um, do you want to pick that up and try to run it through the department and make sure it happens and then you know, eventually take to the Secretary of State for a final decision? Or do you want to make sure someone feels like they've been engaged? I think they're two different things. So I would kind of subtly try to ask the question about 
where where are we here? Because also, to be blunt, you as Hannah alluded to on the on the pod, you're very very busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. You've got primary legislation trundling through Parliament. You've got all kinds of strands of policy development going off. You've got stuff going on outside the department that's affecting you. That's taking your uh, boss's time away. Adding something to that is a big decision. So if you're going to say we want to make something happen you're adding a whole new work stream. That's a big decision. So I need to know if that's what they want to happen because you know, you're going to have to commission what's called submissions, which are, you know, when the department puts together a kind of uh, their view on things on a certain policy and then arrange meetings and eventually one of the ministers or Secretary of State is going to have to get involved in that. So I think the first thing is to work out like, what does this? What does the Secretary of State want to happen? <laughs> what do they really mean? I think it's interesting you say submissions there. Look, as uh, in my time in Department for Education, I think it's important to make people understand. Special advisors are there for the Secretary of State. Not every minister has one or has a couple. No, a, a few do. A few do. A I few may do. Security minister will do. It depends, doesn't it, on the role and 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 depends obviously the whether the Secretary of, whether the Prime Minister wants people to to have yeah. more right. And I think it's important to understand. So when I was in Department of Education, Kit Malthouse had his two special advisors and the job, and it was actually very good of them. In the Kit sense. had two special advisors? Kit Malthouse had a uh, media and he had a policy. And uh, Robin and Rory, there you go, I'm giving them a shout out. I'm sure they'll really appreciate that. And I, I remember actually getting a meeting in my diary quite quickly with both of them. And what was very good was Kit had made it clear to them and they wanted to feed it through the response yes we are here to serve kit but we're here to help the department and that means if you've got a particular media interview or media inquest if you've got a particular policy area do come to us if you want us to look at submissions simply add our name you know saying can i get the feedback from x and you know that was quite an interesting i never really thought about that in terms of a submission as you say james advice from the civil service or feedback from the civil service to a particular idea or policy announcement or just probing ideas in your in case, obviously, because you're supporting a Secretary of State, do you do you see every single piece of uh, every submission before it went to them, or did it depend on the Secretary of State saying to you, "Can you give me your view on this before I comment"? Uh, so, I mean, it depends. To, you you said so that was when Kit was Education Secretary. Yeah, yeah, when Kit under under when Liz Truss was Prime Minister, those uh, forty odd days. So two, so two is not that many for that kind of, it's quite a big job. Um, I mean, it's, it's bandwidth and workload, but I think ideally a lot of sector states would have want to have run a submission by the special advisors just to have a kind of, you know, as we discussed this as well, it's a political opinion. So, you know, you know, this is an MP, MPs know this better than anyone. There's loads of policies. Some are really good things to do, but they simply won't get through parliament. Or they'll face such a backlash that if you try to introduce them too quickly, they wouldn't happen. So, you know, politics is all about bringing, creating coalitions of people, bringing them together to get things done. And so and I think part of that political advice is to say, look, you know, th there's some good ideas in here. But where we are at the moment, we've got this other bill going through. This would cause us a lot of problems with some MPs we need to keep on side to get this bill through Parliament. Or this other thing we're trying to do, which is more important and Number 10 really want us to do. So you know, our advice is to hold on this or or it might be the opposite, which is, you know, I'm picking up, this is a huge issue. And if we don't deal with it, we're going to get really smashed. So we're going to have to, you know, we should, we should put our foot down on this and, and, and start working up some clearer ideas. So I think a lot of ministers would want, want their SPADs, to, you know, they want to get that kind of advice. And would a SPAD be in every meeting a Secretary of State has? 
Uh, yeah, normally one of the spads would. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's why you, you know, I mean, it depends on the size, but on the whole, yes, one of the spads would be in pretty much every meeting. And even as a media spad, just to confirm, you never spoke to journalists. Well, I may have spoken to one or two, as we've alluded to already. <laughs> and uh, Martin talked about how much your life effectively is is around this one individual that you're with them you know from five as martin said always a.m all the way through to 11 p.m in some cases the circumstances depending on the diary for that day you work for pretty you work for michael who mothered you the best uh they're both they're both very caring people actually i mean uh i owe a lot to both of them uh in that sense and i think as hannah alluded to it's hard just not to spend that much time with people and deal with the things you do. You get to see the things that people write about them in the media, which you know are not true. You or use types of language that you might feel is is I think personally inappropriate in politics. And you know you can see how it affects them. And so yeah, you do become you do become close to them. You know, I was I was I was lucky that I worked for two people I had a huge amount of respect for. Uh, they're you know they're different characters, but at heart they're both very 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 hard work. Two of the most hard working people I've ever worked with, uh, and the very caring people. Like I fa- like I had a good relationship. I found them easy to work for, no matter kind of what hours you were doing. Like they were they were very good with me and the and the, the special advisor team. And uh, yeah, so you do get that kind of close relationship. Anyone a good cook? Anyone can make a good meal. As I remember, I think Michael makes quite a good Sunday lunch, actually. Michael uh, makes a good I'm Sunday lunch. But that's yeah. interesting in itself. So on a Sunday even, because like you say, Michael might well be doing the media around that day or that you've got a big policy announcement coming on the Monday. It's therefore absolutely plausible, like you say, that you could be at the weekend around your boss's house. Yeah, you can You can be. I mean, um, and I kind of said that, you, you know, there'll be, you'll end up going for dinner together. You end up having lunch together. You end up, I mean, it's, we kind of alluded to this on, uh, when we were talking about the lobby, you know, that you kind of live in this same area. So, yeah, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll often, and you, you don't get a huge amount of time apart. Like in a really busy week, when a lot of things are going on, you will probably be at the department for most of the day. By the time, you know, by the time you get home, it's kind of nine, ten o'clock at night. Uh, then you're up early. So, you've got, so imagine you've got a morning round, just, you're, you're out of the house at six o'clock. And then on the weekend, you're, you're probably on the phone to them because there's a lot of stuff going on. So, you know, when I was working for Michael, it was obviously like height of Brexit. So Sunday papers were always filled with like what was next in Brexit, what had happened in cabinet that week, all this kind of stuff. So you're getting bombarded with the calls on the Saturday and the Sunday and anything that involves your boss, certainly their name, you you know, you have to text them or call them and say like, you know, the FYI, this is going on. Someone's just told me this is in, or we're going to have to make a comment on this. So it's it is seven days a week and it i mean aside from speaking to them it's really hard to get your head out i don't I'm, i think I, I would ask you and this is the same for mps it's fine saying oh sunday i've got you know i don't have to do anything you know there's kind of you know there's nothing specific going on but you end up reading the sunday papers <laughs> you end up watching the at the time the Marsh show now the laura kinsberg show you end up watching sophie ridge you know before you've realized it you've watched three hours of political tv you've read five newspapers and you probably, if we're, if we're honest, you probably scanned Twitter for a good hour as well. So you sp- you've basically spent <laughs> six hours of the one day off you've got properly, um, fully engaged in. And then your mind is like, well, what does that mean for tomorrow? Yeah. I don't know what's going to be in tomorrow's papers. Uh, what's going on this week? Is there anything, oh, is there anything we need to do? Is there some text from the press office? 
uh, you know, we've got to get this release out on Tuesday and it hasn't been cleared by number 10 yet. You know, can you have a chat with someone? There's all that stuff going on. So I, it's a very, very, you know, one of the things that puts me off being an MP, I think, is I think it looks quite similar in that way and it's a very all-consuming job. And I now quite like the fact that on a Sunday evening, I watch um, Football Italia on BT Sport with James Richardson and focus on what Juventus are doing or whatever and not what is going to be in the on the front page of the, the Times the next day. Is that to inform you of how to win on Football Manager? Is that why you're watching Football Italia? One of our favourite computer games, James. It's technically scouting, I think. It's yeah. technically scouting. No, I agree with you. It is all-consuming, um, and I think it absolutely is for special advisors because not only are they dealing with their boss, but they'll have MPs, like you say. Once an MP gets the phone number, God forbid that poor special advisor can easily therefore be bombarded with stuff coming in over the weekend, asking for answers over what was this report in the paper. Oh, allegedly on Monday there's going to be some big announcement of Monday. Is my area going to be one of those areas? If not, why not? And, uh, yeah, as an MP as well, it's just... It is very hard. There is, I don't, I don't think it's, you can be off, but you're never truly off. You can maybe uh, on a holiday, but you've got your phone. And unless you're very good at locking your phone away, <laughs> putting it on silent and having the ability to not think I should probably just check quickly in case something's going on, uh, you never really take that time for yourself. So I think that's, that's really, really uh, important. One of the things I, I, you know, this is not a criticism of MPs. One of the things we had a lot of though is, you get a campaign that's actually trying to achieve something that already exists. For example, there was a campaign on kind of harm to uh, service animals, which would include, for example, police dogs. The sentence that you ended up having for that, I think is the same as the sentence. You could, a, a magistrate could apply that sentence anyway for cruelty to animals. I think it's a maximum of five years, which I doubt they ever hand, hand out because it would come into the gu guidelines. But, you know, it was a kind of, it was a campaign that you therefore had to take note of because it, you know, got in the paper. So you have a lot of campaigns that you then end up engaging with, particularly at, I was at DEFRA where there's a lot of them and I was doing media, which is, you know, there would be with the sun, the mirror, all that kind of stuff. So you having to keep an eye on all that at the time. And that is probably where I engaged most with MPs. But I remember some of the ones that did that and they were all, you know, they were all really easy to deal with. You get them in the department, have a chat with officials, work out what was going on and it was all it was all relatively straightforward out of interest obviously is a uh, mps can also put down things like 10 minute rule bills westminster hall debates a german debates so they can secure all these things what would a special advisor's role be in that if there is one at all or is that more just something for the civil service to to handle uh i mean on media side uh, i hate to break it to you it doesn't really cut through that much i don't believe that for a second james I mean, how much coverage does a 10 minute rule book get? I think it, well, my one got, my most recent one got more coverage because un, unusually we actually had, we actually had a vote on the 10 minute. Normally these things go through on the nod and first reading, but my, mine caused a, uh, a bit of a, a, a ruckus in the 14th of December, 2022. Typically they don't get a huge but, you, know, you are right. Typically there's something that an MP might get in their local paper or regional news if it's something that, uh, would be deemed newsworthy by a local editor or to a hype, you know, hyper local issue you can tie it to. But yes, you're not going to normally read about it in uh, a national newspaper. Well, so at Defra when I was doing the media stuff, we had I had a, we had an absolutely amazing communications uh, team at Defra. Um, the press office were brilliant. We had a really good stakeholder kind of engagement team as well. And so the way we kind of ran it was. If it was lobby facing and political day to day outside of big announcements, I would handle that. That was my area. They wouldn't get involved in it. And then very departmental, you know, very departmental specific stuff. You've got, uh, you know, 
um, magazines for farming and so on. I would just leave that to the press office. They would run things past me. You might approve it, especially if it was a quote from Michael at the time. But on the whole, I'd let them crack on because they knew these people, they'd been doing that policy for ages. They, they knew DEFRA. They knew what was going on. They understood the minutiae. And, you know, there were bits that were mixed in the middle. You had to have a good relationship with, say, the environment editors because, they were, you know, they can get stuff on the front page of the paper uh, or they can lead the bulletins. But on the whole, you had that kind of division of labor. So I think um, that's where that's where you look at what's going to cut through. So a lot of the things, and that's where you rely on some of the other people in the team as an early warning system. So that's where they, the press office would come and say, Look, normally we'd deal with this, but this is becoming a bit of a problem and it's kind of dragging not just DEFRA, but Michael into it. And then you might pay closer attention. But they were, I think we had a kind of good system that the Parley team or the press team, they would felt open to come to the SPADs and say, look, this, there's an issue here we need to get to grips with. For those of you listening, if you ever want to know who special advisors are, to quote a uh, former press secretary to the prime minister, uh, just look up on Guido Fawkes and they do keep an up-to-date list of who the special advisors are for each principal. Uh, you know, so feel free to see the names of these uh, these secret Malcolm Tuckers, the the power behind the throne. But they also publish, so they publish the list. I think is it maybe once a year. Yeah. And the thing that you always look at as a special advisor is above a certain salary band, they publish the salaries. So the, <laughs> the first thing I think maybe this maybe this is betraying myself rather than other special advisors. But you always want to have a look at oh that person number ten. Look how much they get. I didn't know they get that much. And this is where I'm really keen to delve into a bit with with yourself. Number ten will have obviously a large amount of special advisors because, of course, yeah, it's, about I think is it fifty five maybe? It would be it would be massive, right? You've got all the policy people, you'll have the yeah. press team, you'll have the chief of staff, the political secretary, deputy political secretary, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How much do you, on a day to day basis, engage with those people in number ten, or is it more of a case? Are they your bosses? Are you is, is number ten technically? Would they see it as your boss or does it depend on who's in the office? I'll be brutally honest. Uh, I didn't see it like that. No, I saw Michael and Pretty as my boss. I mean, frankly, if the Prime Minister or the Chief of Staff to the Prime Minister, whatever, whatever it is, really wants to sack you, they can do. We've, we've seen that happen in recent years. You know, but personally, I would I saw myself as working to Michael and Pretty. So, but I mean, I don't think that's, I mean, they are, they're in the cabinet and they're delivering government policy. And so by extension, it, it's kind of the same thing. Um, but I mean, how often do you do you speak to number 10? I suppose I mean, you probably speak to someone from number 10. I think I would pretty much every day. And it, but it was, mon it's mundane stuff. It's like, like I kind of mentioned earlier, there would be, you, you'd have something planned for four or five days time. The civil service, there's a kind of machine under you that whirls away just and does a lot of stuff without you really, you know, the more you get involved often, the more you can just stop things happening, which is pointless for everybody. So they'd be whirring away on some announcement, clearing things with number 10 uh, on the civil service side that you'd already looked at internally. And it might just get a blockage or slow down. And so, you know, whether you're doing policy or media, you just call someone you know up and say, do you, do you know why, what's going on here? We've been told number 10's blocking it. And, um, you know, more often than not, it would just be some, you know, they would just say, I don't know, like it's, oh, it's got sat on, it's got sat on my desk, you know, it's just under a pile of other papers or whatever. So you would, you would have that kind of stuff. Obviously, we, I think we touched on it, like the morning round, number 10 will often that, you know, if you've got a big announcement, they'll want your boss out on the morning round. So, you know, when that's coming up, um, there's, there's normally a broadcast person trying to get various members 
of your ministerial team up on what I saw as broadly pointless programs or just high risk and no, no rewards. You know, does such and such a minister want to do question time? You know, my answer would be no. That's what's the point of it. Uh, but if I mean, if they wanted to do it, they could crack on. So, you, you, but you have some contact, and you, you normally have quite a few meetings. So, I mean, at the Home Office where you're doing borders and all that kind of stuff, like you're probably over to number ten a, once a couple of times a week on, you know, with some meeting with their policy ones. But I mean, rarely. I think when I was in Defra, I mean, I was probably only in maybe three or four meetings with the prime minister that would, and which would, it wasn't even on defra issues. It was around Brexit actually, you know, but you have a lot of meetings, as you said, there's a lot of spads over there. So you go and see their policy team, go and see them, you know, go and see the director of comms or whatever about something. So you, that's, you have quite a lot of engagement. It's part of the spads job to manage what can probably, because we're all humans become quite strained or difficult relationships at certain times between your boss and the number 10 team who are obviously protecting their boss which is the prime minister do you ever are you ever like a relationship counselor uh no i wouldn't say so on that one i think certainly as regards to how your boss is getting on with anyone else in the cabinet or frankly any other mp like you know i mean you'll you tell me but mps like to deal with mps they don't want to be dealing with a special advisor I think that is true of a lot of the old guard, I would call them. I think this 2019 intake, it, it's, it's, I think it depends on who's realised the value of the special advisor and what they can bring. True, but I think there'll be an... Uh, my, my experience was that it's fine for, you know, for the Secretary of State to say, look, I've, I've got on top of your issue, Jonathan. Um, James is going to deal with this. So why don't you have a chat with him? He's going to arrange a meeting with officials for you. Then you're going to come back to me. That That's fine. Uh, I think if you're kind of taking it upon yourself, I think you have to be very careful how you speak to MPs for the exact reasons that Martin touched upon. You guys have gone and got yourself elected. You know, you've, you've campaigned, you've, you, you've done all the stuff that you need to get there. You're a member of parliament, you're an elected member of parliament. And we're these Broadly, transient political advisors. It's not our name in the paper if things go wrong. Uh, we don't have to go in front of the select committee. You're very good at making go sure your name's never anywhere in the paper, James. I'll give you that. But I think it's, you know, it's the it's the deciding point, right? You guys vote on stuff. You make the decision. Secretary of State decide things. You provide advice. And you have to remember that, like, it's not your name on the headed paper if things aren't working. Like, you know, yes, your future's tied to your boss, uh, so you obviously care about what happens to them. But, you know, if things go wrong, it's uh, it's the Secretary of State that's going to be hauled in front of a select committee and get the dressing down and then get the write-up in the Times or the Guardian or whatever the, the next day. It's not you. It's very rare. But that does that mean to be a in. good special advisor, you've got to be willing to accept that you can sometimes take the fall for your boss? Yeah, I mean, look, I resigned as well for over something. So, uh, no, nothing to do with my boss over Brexit. But um, yeah, you, of course you do. Yeah, I think you absolutely. You, I think you'll you have to accept that there might be a point you have to take a bullet, so to speak. And I've got two more questions for you. First one: Give us some of the secrets. Give us some of the juicy stuff, James. Give the listeners what they really want to know that maybe Hannah and Martin were being much more coy about or careful about. And then the second one is: Would you? You like me, your father. If your kid said to you, I want to be a special advisor, you said your dad said, doesn't sound like a real job. What would you say to your kids having actually been a special advisor? Well, I'm going to avoid your first question, but uh, the, <laughs> the second one. Ah, come um, on. We need some exclusives. 
I think, look, it's, I mean, I'm, I've been really lucky in life to have some really interesting jobs. Because, sorry, James, quickly jump in here. Let's be honest. You came into that type of role later in life than most bats, right? That would be fair to say. You'd had yeah, a professional background. Probably... Maybe others came straight out of university. You'd only been in the private, you know, in the sort of, you know, in the working environment for a couple of years. You'd had, you know, a much longer stint in sort of working in the corporate world or outside of it, outside of politics before coming into Whitehall, right? Yeah, I didn't really get involved in politics till I was about 34, 35. Um, so it was a bit longer out. And I was lucky that I'd had some interesting jobs before then. But yeah, I really would say getting to work in DEFRA around that time as well was amazing. Um, whatever your views on Brexit, the fact was it left DEFRA in a place where they had to set a brand new environmental and farming policy. That was really, really interesting. Um, and I got to work for what I think is one of the most fascinating sectors of states of the last decade, Michael Gove, who I think is an incredible man to work with and for. And to ha and to do that was like it was a dream. And then I got to work with Pretty, who I think is you know just one of the most determined people I've ever met. And I think is you know has got incredible incredible fortitude. And you, I've learned so much from both of them. And so yeah, I wouldn't switch them for the world. And I think. I mean, that's the one thing I would look at. And if, if my kids ever said that to me, I'd say, well, who are you going to work for? You know, what, what do you think? You know, have you met them? What do you think of them? Because our, we're all coloured our, by our own experiences. We all look at things through a prism of our own experiences. And it's amazing to work in government at the heart of government. And it was amazing to work on such high profile policy issues as, as the DEFRA and the Home Office respectively were. But... You know, for me, the thing that I enjoyed most was working for two brilliant people. And they're, you know, very different people, but very, I think brilliant people in their own way. And I think that is just, you know, something that you, you know, I learned so much from both of them about how to approach things, how to think about things, you know, how, how you how you talk to other people and all these kinds of things. And so, yeah, I think absolutely I would, I would say go for it if they had the right person. I think it's, as we wrap up here, what I've really enjoyed seeing is how Martin, Hannah and yourself, the affection that you hold the people that you work for. And in politics, you're often told it's a game where you can trust no one, but to see that level of trust, that level of care and relationship and, and respect, I think is something that is quite unique in Whitehall. And I think therefore that relationship between the special advisor, the policy advisor and their principal, the Secretary of State or Shadow Minister, whoever it may be, is actually one that, one that won't necessarily be replicated anywhere else really unless you're a Blair Brown setting up New Labour or Cameron Osborne, you know, bringing back the Conservatives from the electoral doldrums. And even Jeremy Corbyn, John McDonnell, who've been, you know, allies, uh, you know, on those back benches for Labour for decades, I think it is, there's very rare that you see that relationship. And I think it was really nice personally for me, I'm lucky to be able to see it in person, to witness that and to hear that. And, you know, I think a lot more of that would go a long way in Westminster. So I want to thank everyone for listening and uh, to James and I's ramblings as always. It's always good fun to, to get upload and obviously give you a bit of insight of what we think from what we heard, but also give you a few extra stories from our own experiences as well. You can, as you do know now, you can subscribe and follow to Inside Whitehall. Please do. Uh, please make sure you leave us a review and a rating. And you can also give us your feedback or give us some promotion or tell us what you think on Twitter at Whitehall Pod UK. And we hope you'll be doing that. And we look forward to you tuning into our next episode soon. Thank you.